Certainly these words would be familiar to you. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same objective evinces a design to reduce them under absolute depotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such a government and to provide new guards for their future security. You will recognize this as part of the Declaration of Independence right there at the beginning. The very reason for it. When the colonies recognized that a number of abuses by the king in Britain and the people said, enough, enough. Well, it certainly could have been the introduction to the 95 Theses that the apostle, <laughs> Martin Luther, nailed to the door of the church, castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. He had seen the same thing in the Roman Catholic Church. And he said, enough, enough. These 95 propositions for debate, one might say, were complaints against the Roman Catholic Church, and they focused on three main issues. They were selling forgiveness, imagine that, via the sale of indulgences. The moment the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. It is doubtful as to whether that it was actually stated by John Tetzel, but my friends, the attitude was there. And they did this in order to build a cathedral. Out of these actions, my friends, and many more, they kicked off what is now the Reformation. Five statements stated in the Latin, my friends, known as the five solas, were put, um, were put forth in order to distinguish the reformers from the teaching of Rome. Solas, think of the word solo, all by themselves. And here are the statements, my friends. Here are the statements. Sola Scriptura. Not hard to figure out. Scripture alone as the final authority of faith and practice. No man, no woman, no child, no teenager, but the Word of God. Sola Scriptura. Solus Christus. Christ alone. Sola Gracias. Grace alone. Sola Dia. Gloria. Glory to God alone. And the final... Sola fide, faith alone. And that was the issue. With a question from the New Testament, what must I do to be saved, must be answered. It must be answered in your own life. And it was answered in the scripture with this. Sola fide, faith, by faith alone. You see, today in Romans 4, Paul focuses on the final statement, faith alone. Today, Paul will answer the all-important question, what must I do to be saved? Not what do I prefer to do, or what do you do? I might try that, and I might try something else. There's one answer that is acceptable to God, and that enables us to be acceptable to God. 
And Paul lays it out as he has been doing by asking and answering some questions. But we will notice, my friends, (laughs) this becomes a list of what is not the acceptable answer to the question, what must I be to be saved? Well, my friends, we are justified by faith, not works. Hear me say this yet again. We are justified. And what does that word justified mean? It means to be declared righteous. To be declared. When God looks upon us and makes his judgment, he declares us righteous. Righteous being the state before God, the only state before God that is acceptable. It is a banking term, imputed righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is deposited in our account, and we're going to see that in our study here this morning. So we are justified by faith, not works. Look at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. You see, Abraham wasn't justified by works, Paul is going to argue. Because the question is, what is this, some new teaching about faith? Because it seemed to us throughout all of Old Testament history, they had to obey the law, you know. Sat in a Sunday school class when I was young, going to school, and, you know, the the teacher offered the question, how were people saved in the Old Testament? And someone raised their hand, By obeying the law. And the teacher said, well, yes. And I said, you know what? (laughs) My Bible says that by blood or bulls or goats, he will not be forgiven. No way. Does anybody else have an answer? Oh, by, by making sacrifices and obeying the law and all of these things. But it is the wrong answer, my friend. We will not be justified before God by what we do. The only answer, my friend, is what Christ has done. It is the old uh, illustration that I have presented numerous times. You're standing at the gate of heaven. There's Peter wearing his fishing clothes, maybe some bib overalls. I don't know. He says, why should I let you in? Friends, if you start pulling out the memory of things that you've done, there is no entrance to heaven for you. It is not by works. I say, yeah, but what about James 2.21? Well, that's a very good point you make. (laughs) A little bit of Paul here. See, in James 2.21, we read, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? (laughs) James proposes that question, and then he answers it, my friends. You see, in verse 20, James points to to the fact that Faith apart from works is useless. And what James is arguing to us is your faith will always show itself. Faith, hear me when I say this, write this in the leaf of your Bible. Anybody have those anymore? Faith inspires action. If you have faith in God, you will act on it. And that certainly was our father Abraham who believed God and trusted in God, didn't understand God, but believed him anyway. 
And he went and he laid down the, the branches and all of the things to make a fire and, a, and then to set his son on top of it as a sacrifice. God told him to do it. And then he stopped him. And you know what the Lord says? Now I know you really believe. How did you know? Because he saw his faith in action. Faith always inspires action. Those who truly believe, my friends, will act on their belief. And Abraham's faith caused him to act in preparing a sacrifice to his son Isaac, or for, of his son Isaac. So Abraham wasn't justified by works. I mean, this goes all the way back to the beginning of the faith. You know, the audience is to the Jews. Well, let's go back to the beginning. You know, Abraham, the father of many nations, including the nation of Israel. How was he saved? By faith. By faith, my friends. Abraham was justified by faith. Look at verse 3. For what does the scripture say? And here's a quote of Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was, and here's the word, counted to him as righteousness. And there is that banking term, my friends. It was imputed into his account. His faith was counted as righteousness. When he put his faith in God, the righteousness of Christ was deposited in his account. And as he stands before the Lord, he says, go ahead and look, not at me, but at Jesus, who is the righteous one. Now again, reminder, justification means to declare righteous. The righteousness of Christ is imputed. That's an accounting term to our account. So what was the content of Abraham's faith? Did Abraham believe in Jesus? Is, is that how we're saved? By believing in Jesus? What is the content of your faith? Well, Abraham believed in the promise of God. God said it, and Abraham believed it. So the content of Abraham's faith is the promise of God, and that's the same as us. We believe God's promise that Christ's death was sufficient to forgive us of our sins, to cover every last one of them, to pay the penalty of sin that we deserve. And we accept that as true. We are trusting in it as a matter of fact. It is our only hope. It is our only hope. So, my friends, Abraham wasn't justified by works. He was justified by faith. And only faith is counted as righteousness. Only faith. Nothing else. Not works. Yeah, but you know, I was a member of church when I was three, three years old. I mean, that's a long time. That's got to count for something. You know what that counts for? Nothing. The only currency of heaven that is accepted, my friends, is faith. Absolute trust and dependence of all that you are on God. But notice that faith, faith alone is counted as righteousness. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
Just as David, also speaking of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from work. So look at that. If you're going to point to the Old Testament saints, my friend, let's go to Abraham and let's go to David. What did they say? What did God say to them? And it is consistent and clear all the way through. Verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. I want to talk about that for just a moment. You and I have sin in our life, in our past, that we are awfully ashamed of, that we hope to God nobody ever finds out. The Lord does not count that against us if you have put your faith in Jesus. The penalty has been paid for that sin. Like when you were a kid, you went into one of those stores with that, you know, seven-mile-long candy aisle, you know. <laughs> and you're here, little kid, and it's right here in front of you. And you look up, and maybe Dad gives you a nod. Go ahead and pick something. And you walk out the door with it. Been paid for. Nobody's coming after you, my friends. Yeah, we deal with the shame of our sin. But we know this. We know this, that our sin has been covered when we put our faith in Jesus, who died for us. Paid the price. Forgiven. Forgiven. Don't forget that. Stop carrying it. The Lord is never going to hold that against you. He's never going to bring it out and show it in your face and say, see what you have done. Oh no, not our Lord. He never will. It is not counted against us. And so, my friends, we are not justified by works. We're justified by faith. But notice here in verses 9 to 17. Verses 9 to 17. Where Paul says we are justified by grace and not law. Not our works. Not by the law. Notice in verse uh, chapter 3 and 20, you may recall of Romans, Paul had said, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law was there to point out our sin and our great need for Jesus. Nobody could keep the law. It demonstrated it by the fact that we're all standing guilty before God. Even if you made up your own law, well, I'll never do that again. I will never. But there again, you did it again and again and again and again. There is no law that we can keep. We are not forgiven, my friends, by obeying a law. We are justified by grace. And you know what grace is? Someone has put together this little anagram, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is that God gives to us that which we do not deserve. You don't deserve it. You don't. I don't. And there's not a one of us that does. We have sinned against the holy God, and the penalty for sin is death. But in God's amazing grace, unmerited favor, 
we have done nothing, that God owes us this. In God's amazing grace, he has saved us. Notice the timing. See, the argument here is about this law. Well, let's take a look at Abraham. Did he, I mean, was, you know, was he circumcised first? You know, circumcision, removing the foreskin of, well, you know, you looked it up this week, right? Good. And so Paul talks about the, the timing of Abraham's circumcision. You see, that was a mark that you were a son of the law. On the eighth day, a Jewish boy was circumcised, entering now into this community of what should have been faith, but highlighted on law. Verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Now what he's talking about there is the Jews. Is this then only for the Jews? Or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And it was. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Well, my friends, it was not after. But it was before he was circumcised. You say, why does that matter? Because it demonstrates that it had nothing to do with the law. The law didn't even exist when Abraham was alive. Lots of generations later before we get to Moses. Yeah. You see, Abraham, just like you and I, are justified by faith, not by keeping the law. You will note that Abraham wasn't circumcised until 14 years later after he had come to faith in Christ. Yeah. Now, the purpose of Abraham's circumcision is laid out here in verses 11 and 12. What was that all about anyway? Well, verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision. Well, say that three times fast. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. It was a seal, a mark, an identification mark that he had received it by faith. Even while he was still circumcised. And so it was a seal of his righteous faith. But it was also to make father the belie- uh, Abraham the father of believing Gentiles. You see, the purpose, Paul says here, continuing in verse 11, was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. There's that word counted. Shows up a lot in this passage. Very important truth to understand. We are not saved by our own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ imputed into our account. The purpose was to make him the father of Jews and Gentiles. How? As an example to us of how to come into a saving relationship with God by faith. And so it was to make Abraham the father of believing Gentiles, but also for believing Jews, verse 12, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk 
in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. See, it wasn't just about obeying the law, following the rules here and there. It was all to be done by faith from the very beginning. Faith, 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 faith. Don't miss this, friends. You could lose your soul over this stuff. Yeah, don't miss it. But you'll notice here in verses 13 to 17, the emphasis on promise and not law. Verse 13, look at the content of the promise. For the promise to Abraham and his offsprings that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but came through the righteousness of faith. You see, what we're talking about this great Abrahamic covenant that God would bless personally Abraham and that he would make of him a great nation and that he would be, as his very name suggests, the father of many nations and that God would bless the world through him. The ultimate fulfillment of that was Jesus, a descendant of Abraham. The promise to Abraham and his offspring would be that he would be the heir of the world. It did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. But notice the importance of the promise. Verses 14 to 17. It is important to the heirs. <coughs> because the heirs of this promise are those who believe. Verse 14. For if it is the adherence to the law who are to be the heirs... Well, then faith is null and void, <laughs> and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Very simple to illustrate. You're going down the road, no speed limit sign, no speed limit sign. Pick up the speed, okay, they must expect me to go a little faster here. Some guy goes flying by, well, maybe that's an indicator. And then suddenly you see the 25, and suddenly you are a violator of the law. That's how the law works. It works to condemn, to point out your sin, to set a standard that demonstrates that you have fallen short. How in the world could that possibly save? The law merely condemns. And so it is not only to the inherit adherent of the law but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. How? By faith. And you will notice God made Abraham the father of many nations. As it is written, verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom you believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Creator. My friends, we are justified by faith, not by works, not by keeping the law, any law. We are justified by faith. And here in verses 18 to 25, Paul continues to cover all of the ground. Yeah, but what about? We are justified by faith, not by any human effort at all. It is nothing that you have done. You contribute nothing to your salvation. You know what you contribute? Your sin. That's the only thing you have to offer. 
And your response of faith is simply trusting in everything that Jesus has done. You see, faith in response to God's promise. That's what we're talking about. In hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham simply believed God's promise. Trusted him. Accepted his words as true as him is able. But notice also, he trusted regardless of the difficulty in circumstances. So here is the Lord saying that he's going to be the father of many nations. And he looks around and he says, I don't even have any kids. How's that going to happen? You remember that? He says, look at me. I'm like 90 years old and look at my wife. I mean, she's gorgeous, but she's old. You see, verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God. You see, his faith was regardless of difficult difficult circumstances. You see, he did not weaken in faith, verse 19, when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Look, Lord, we've tried this. It hasn't worked. But now the Lord says, this is what's going to happen. And you know what Abraham does? He said, good is done. That's faith, my friends. Where you don't look at the obstacles, you look at the one who overcomes them. Faith regardless of difficult circumstances. Faith that glorifies God. And faith that believes that God is able to do exactly what he promises. Verse 21, fully convinced. There's an expression. That God was able to do what he promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He absolutely trusted God with all that he was, all that he had, and all that he would be. That, my friends, is faith. And as we're talking about faith, Paul brings it back to you and me. He says, what's the content of our faith? Well, the very promise of God. Look at verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for yours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The content of our faith is the gospel, where Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead, that you and I might be justified. And how do we live in response to that? Let me ask you this. How have you lived in light of that? Let's wrap it up, friends. Justification is and has always been faith. By faith and faith alone. So check yourself this morning. Check yourself. Are you trusting in Christ's death and resurrection on your behalf? Are you trusting in Him, in Him alone? 
Or have you got a plan B? Well, yeah, but there was that one time I won that Bible memorization contest. I mean, that's got to count for nothing. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Remember our understanding of that term last week? Menstrual rags. That's what the Lord says about the righteousness we have to offer. Not very impressive. So let me ask you, how are you exercising that faith in God today? Where does faith show up in your life? I mean, if you had to review your past week in order to get to heaven, demonstrating that you are absolutely trusting God, would you able, be able to find any evidence of that? Tell you what, my friends, that's the way our day ought to start. Oh, Lord, this day belongs to you. You've planned it out for me to live it through in a way that honors you. Help me to look to you for the answers and the strength and the courage. Where's your faith, my friends? Give it a workout this week. And finally, when you're sharing the gospel, because that's what good followers of Christ do, what kind of monsters would we be to know this and keep it to ourselves? To not enter into the uncomfortable conversation to someone who we love but is lost. When you're sharing the gospel, I wonder, do you make it that clear? Not by accepting something or asking for something or receiving something, but by faith and faith alone in Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the dead. We are saved. How then can I be saved? It is in faith in Jesus. It is our only hope. It is our only hope. And God has given it to us in his grace. And his mercy, by the way. You know what mercy is? Not giving us the thing we deserve. Great, great grace. Great mercy. But you must respond in faith. Absolute trust and dependence of all that you are and all that you have and all that you hope to be. Trust him. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word that reveals these truths that we need to know, that we need to be certain of, that we need to respond in faith. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us to be the people that you've invested in, that you've died for. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great sacrifice. Oh, help us to live well. Lord, even now, the thoughts that the Spirit of God has put on our mind and our heart of that which we know that we should be doing, that appointment we need to make. Oh, God, help us. Help us to live in obedience this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.